This episode of Jesuitical is brought to you in part by Somos. Somos is a new dynamic of care, a systematic platform to get healthcare to those on the margins in underserved areas lacking healthcare providers. For more information, go to somosnyhealth.org. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. Good to be with you, Ashley. Great, Olga. To, great to be here. Do you want to tell your story about what's on tap <laughs> before you ask me? Yeah. Um, so we were supposed to be drinking Truly, which is this great new drink. It's like a, a, a spiked seltzer, and I drank it over the weekend, so I thought I'd bring it here. Um, so I walked. It's through. a nice summer thing, too. Yeah, yeah like it was a nice summer thing. Yeah. Um, so it's pouring down rain here, and I walked like six blocks in the pouring down rain to buy the Truly at the Duane Reed, get to the counter, have the Truly, and the woman asked, for, asked me for my ID, which I forgot to bring. And she would not sell me the, the mm. spiked seltzer without my ID. So, it's like so only someone over 21 would go <laughs> out know. in the rain for alcohol. I mean, I know I look young. So anyway, trudged back to the office, then went to the closer by Dwayne Reed, and they did not have Truly. So instead, we are drinking... We are drinking uh, the Crisp Six Point Brewery Pilsner, which is an, also a nice, refreshing yeah, summer I beer. Yeah, so. I thought it was a good alternative. Yeah, and well, and at least... At least half the Dwayne Reeds are IDing people. <laughs> so cheers to responsible carding. Yes. Cheers. <laughs> and who are we talking to today, Olga? This week we're talking with Chloe Becker. She is a student at Magnificat High School in Ohio. She painted this really cool mural that went viral. Yeah, so it's this cool mural that features five saints, uh, Father Augustus, well, two future saints and three saints, Father Augustus Tolden, Sia Sister Thea Bowman, St. Augustine, St. Monica, and St. Benedict. Yeah, and they're all, so they're all depicted as black American contemporary people and saints. So they've got the halos around their head, but they're in sort of 21st century wear, um, all holding up together the sacred heart of Jesus. And it's against this really, it's against this black background. um, So all of the colors are popping and it's really really cool. So we brought her on to talk about the inspiration behind the work. But first, it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Olga? So speaking of Augustus Tolton, he was the first black priest in the Catholic Church and a former slave. And last week he was just... In the U.S., first black priest in the U.S. And he was just declared venerable, which means he is one step closer to becoming a saint. That's great. And that ties in well. That was like a perfect news hook for this week's interview. So what's our next story, Ashley? Another quick headline. The Notre Dame Cathedral had its... Uh, first mass since the devastating fire there in April. Um, the Archbishop of Paris uh, celebrated mass wearing a hard hat to protect himself from falling debris. Yeah, these were kind of really powerful images of seeing the clerics in hard hats instead mm-hmm. of mitres. Um, just a reminder that, you know, you still hold mass in unusual places. Yep. What's our next story, Zach? So, The U.S. bishops were meeting in Baltimore for their annual meeting this past week, and there they overwhelmingly voted to adopt new protocols for holding themselves accountable for 
sexual abuse. Correct. And these new protocols include creating a new hotline, which is going to be operated by a third party, which allows people to report abuses. Yeah. And there's um, it establishes a system for investigating those reports and gives bishops the authority to restrict the ministry of retired bishops who have resigned for, as quote unquote, grave reasons. And finally, the bishops voted to bind themselves to the Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People, also known as the uh, Dallas Charter. So this was these were the guidelines that went into effect after 2002. Um, but the bishops hadn't actually been bound to it. So this held priests and other clerics accountable, but bishops were exempt from it. Right. And a vote was actually expected on these protocols back in November when the bishops met. But the Vatican asked them to wait until after February's summit on sexual abuse. Right. And since that summit, the Vatican has issued its own law that mandated that bishop conferences around the world come up with protocols for holding bishops accountable. Um, So that's what the bishops have done. Um, There is one kind of wrinkle that people have focused a lot of criticism on is that the new protocol allows for and, and it even encourages uh, lay people to be involved in the investigation of abuse, but it doesn't require it. Right. Which the Vatican <clears throat> law did not require either. And so some bishops took that to mean that that they shouldn't go a step further than the Vatican. But this has been um, criticized by other uh, church reform groups uh, like the Leadership Roundtable and SNAP, the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests, who said that without making, without mandating the involvement of lay people, it's still going to be possible for bishops to keep things internal and not really have real accountability. Yeah, I think this is a case of these, these protocols are a really good start, but also the next time that there a new scandal is going to break in the church, we need to see these sort of in action in right. order for some trust to be regained, I think. Yeah. What's our next story, Olga? So on June 17th, the Vatican published the working document for the upcoming October Synod on the Amazon. And this document is is the part of the world, not the company, right? Yes, correct. The part of the world, not the company. And this document is aimed at helping the bishops and the church find ways to reach indigenous Catholics in this region of the world. Right. And so it's a very wide ranging um, working document, as these often are. And it it covers issues like urbanization, corruption, access to clean air and water, climate change, all things that are very important to the Amazon region. But there were two sort of big takeaways that a lot of the media coverage focused on. Um, and the main, the biggest one, I think, is probably that uh, the possibility of ordaining married men to the priesthood because there's a huge lack of priests in that area. Yeah, these are the indigenous people live in very remote areas. And, um, you know, if they're Catholic, they often are going weeks or even months without a priest who can um, perform mass and give them the Eucharist. And, you know, we see this as the heart of our faith. Uh, And so basically what the Vatican is saying is if there are extreme circumstances where people are being deprived of that, like it, it's maybe possible to create an accommodation. Um, Or we we should open the discussion on it. This is what they're going to talk about at the Synod. Right. And the second big takeaway... The second big takeaway is the type of ministry that women can play in this region. The document acknowledges that women are a pivotal part of the indigenous population in this region. And it says that they must be heard and they should be consulted when discussing anything that relates to the Amazon. Right. And so one thing that's important to keep in mind is that this... Just because they are opening the discussion about the possibility of having married priests in the Amazon region, region does not mean we're going to be seeing like the priesthood, yeah, open to married men in the United States anytime soon. Yeah, and or or that like I think Americans tend to interpret world church events and to their own context, and this is an instance where yeah, we would definitely caution against that, also because 
there are already married men in the American Catholic priesthood. Right. Often Protestant uh, ministers who convert are allowed to be ordained Catholic priests. Right. What's our next story, Ashley? On June 8th, the Vatican launched a new podcast called Hebdomada Pape, means the Pope's Week, um, and it's in Latin. It airs every Saturday on Vatican Radio and re-airs on Sunday and then is available as a podcast online. Yes, and it's a five-minute news flash that is going to offer, quote, news and news reports, and it's made to kind of just bring young people and just people in the contemporary world to engage more with Latin. Yeah, I, I went ahead and listened to it. Um, but How does it sound? It sounds. It Wait, turns do you out, speak Latin? Uh, it turns out all my years studying Pig Latin did not help. It's not actually the same. Uh, no, it, I did actually study Latin in high school. Um, wasn't that great of a student because I did not pick up that much. So it's moving at a rapid pace. Um, what were your thoughts on this podcast, Olga? Honestly, I one, I think it's a great step whenever we see the Vatican try to engage with new forms of technology or media. But I think they could have done a better job by making it in a language that's a little more accessible. I would have preferred to see it in Italian or Spanish. Many more people would have listened if they did one of those. Yeah, see, but that would be a different podcast. I think the point of this podcast is not to give you Vatican news. Like, there are plenty of great podcasts that already do that, like Inside the Vatican with Colleen Dully. Or even Jesuitical. <laughs> yeah. So the the point, I think, of this podcast is really introducing people to Latin, which I think is great. Like, you know, we use Latin words in the church still, and I, and I enjoy, you know, knowing that Agnus Dei means Lamb of God, <laughs> um, even though that's like the extent of my Latin. Uh, so I can't say I'm going to be like listening to this, but I think it's cool that it's out there and it will reach like a niche audience. One critique, try finding this in your podcast app because <laughs> it's not there right now. They're just sort of recording this and posting. They're putting um, it out on Italian airwaves and then they're posting it online, but it's sort of some would say maybe having a Latin podcast is already a failure to understand mm. the medium of podcasting <laughs> and then calling it a podcast, not putting it yeah. in podcast feeds okay. also a failure. Vatican, if you're listening, it's called Apple Podcasts. Get it in or any or Spotify or yeah. wherever you find Jesuitical, you should be able to find Ebdomade Pape. Ebdo, eb, Ebdomade Pape. <laughs> nice. What's our next story? Olga. So a new startup is creating an app for Catholics that's meant to help us donate more money and connect to other Catholic ministries. And it's backed by Rick Santorum, who is a former U.S. senator. Yeah. um, And his son-in-law is the CEO of this company. And the basic idea is young Catholics don't carry cash. And this keeps... Yeah, very true. And this keeps money going um, to ministries in spite of that. that right, which Catholics is something we've, support. we've talked about on the show before. Yeah, absolutely. I've lamented many times that I, you know, when I was in, when we were in Australia and we mm-hmm. got to mass there and I could just tap the the oh, collection yeah. basket so cool. with my phone using Apple Pay. It was just like 10 bucks. Boom. Tap your phone. Yeah. Done. I was blown away. I thought that was super cool. Yeah. But is this like Bitcoin? Like, is this just like a Venmo or is this like a currency? No. So this is. Another big thing, they're using, they're not using U.S. dollars. They're creating their own cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency or it's using okay. uh, blockchain technology okay. in order to get this across. All right. That that puts me off. <laughs> I don't understand it. I'm not ready to like jump into that yet. But it, it, it does seem to be taking up a, a real problem that we are facing when we go to church. But it kind of seems like they're encouraging Catholic communities to silo themselves off a little bit. Yeah, to have like your own Catholic currency in your own Catholic directory. Obviously, there are some instances that are that, that can be very useful, but I wonder if maybe, you know, we should be integrating these methods into already established ways of donating, you know, 
millennials are already really comfortable with things like Venmo and Zelle and GoFundMe and those types of things. And I wonder if there's a missed opportunity there. Right. It's also a for-profit company, which I don't know how I feel about. Yes, it's a totally for-profit company. (laughs) And it's you look at their team and they tend to lack any at all female representation on the staff and board. Um, so there are some some definite issues, even though we appreciate the, you know, someone's looking into, you know, trying to connect some dots here. Right. What's our last story, Zach? So we have some more news about church structures trying to go digital. Um, the Trappist monks of St. Sixtus Abbey in West Vlederden, Flanders, are taking the sale of their very famous beer online. Right. So this beer often is rated like as the best beer in the entire world. And there are huge wait lists in order to just get a couple cases. Um, And it used to be that you had to call this hotline um, and then go in person and pick up your beer. Um, And And now you're going to be able to go onto like a website and order it online. Right. And in the past, apparently the hotline to order beers was receiving 85,000 calls an hour. You know, in that hotline bling. Yeah, so with the new website, they're going to be able to, you'll you have to go like give your give your information and they, you know, they'll give priority to new customers. And what they're trying to do is to stop um unscrupulous retailers from reselling the beer at a very high markup, which was happening. Yeah, which is also a problem for a lot of winemakers all throughout Europe. You know, you got these old families that are selling their wine and then you got people flipping the the wine for a huge profit. Yeah. But Maybe bad or good news. I don't know. It depends on your perspective. Uh, there's no shipping at yeah. all. So you'd, yeah, you can order online, but you still have to pick it up in person. So I think we know what that means. A Jesuitical pilgrimage. Yes. <laughs> We're on our way. via Skype today is Chloe Becker, a junior at Magnificat High School in Ohio and the artist of a new viral mural. Welcome to Jesuitical, Chloe. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're super excited. You painted this really great mural that has been all over Twitter and Facebook. Can you tell us a little bit about, just basically describe it to our listeners? Yeah, so the mural really displays like five different saints. I wanted to highlight um, different Black and African-American saints that we have. So Sister Thea Bowman, who's on the process of being canonized. And then we have Father Augustus Tolton, who is also an African-American who is in the process of being canonized. And then who actually, he just got St. Pram- Francis just like... Yeah, made yeah. him venerable. So that was really cool. So two future saints and then three yeah. current yes, saints. Yes, future saints. And then the last three are St. Augustine, um, St. Monica, and St. Benedict the African. So these St. Sister Thea Bowman and Augustus Stolton were black Catholics, but the other three, we've historically seen them painted as white individuals. But you, in your moral, they're depicted as black. Why did you decide to do this? Yeah, I really wanted to emphasize the fact that we, in our in our history, in the Catholic Church, have done a lot of whitewashing and how um, kind of destructive that's been for actually accurately representing saints of color. So for me, it was really important to, like, especially St. Augustine and St. Monica, they're almost always represented as European, even though they were from um, Northern Africa. So that was really important for me. And just in general, having more representation of saints of color, um, especially like in 
in an educational place, like in a school, because basically there's not been a lot of representation from saints um, from Africa or from like Asia and different areas. So that's what I really want to focus on. Uh, so one thing that's really striking about the mural is that you've you've painted them as as black saints, but you've also put them in contemporary clothing. So they're not, you know, Saint Augustine is not wearing clothing from the fourth century, or if that if that one he was from, um, but just like a a very modern suit. Uh, so why why did you decide to depict them as contemporary? Actually, they kind of started spontaneously. So. There's no, like, representation. There's no, like, pictures of St. Augustine online or St. Monica because they're pretty old in history. Um, So I needed someone to represent the saints um, so that I could paint them realistically. So I reached out to St. Adelbert Parish, which is the first Black Catholic parish in Cleveland, which is where I'm from. And basically the priest there, Father Gary, was like, come on in. Like, the people would love to have you. They would love to pose for your mural. That'd be really cool. So then I went and had mass with them. They were awesome. And they came out and um, a lot of people volunteered and I took their picture. And so in that moment, I was like, I think I should keep them in their clothing because I think it makes a really important statement that needs to be emphasized more in the saint in the Catholic church. Um, And that's that we are all called to be saints. And I think we hold saints on such a high pedestal sometimes saying, you know, well, I don't really have to reach for that type of holiness, but really we are called all to our own type of holiness in the way that the saints um, kind of answer God's call to that such amazing type of holiness. So that's why I wanted to represent them in sort of everyday clothing um, that's modern because it shows that like we, even though there hasn't been like a saint from the 21st century yet, we could be those next saints and we're called to be those next saints. Yeah, totally. And I think those clothes do a really good job of, you know, driving that home. So this was a school, pro- part of a school project, correct? And yeah. So, so you were asked to pick a social justice topic that you were passionate about and, and you chose racism. Why was that? This really drove from, in my past November, I went to a, um, a diversity conference. It was called the Student Diversity Leadership Conference. Um, in Nashville, my school sent us there. Um, and it really, really changed my life. Like I had never really focused on racism as much before, because I think, especially as being um, a white person, it's not particularly a, I guess, like comfortable topic to talk about or to think about. And so when I got to that conference, we had so much dialogue and conversation and I was interacting with people from all across the world and from all across the country who were honestly sharing with me their experiences with racism. And I had never really been openly talked to about people's like personal experiences with racism before. And really having that experience completely changed the way I thought about racism. I had never really focused on it as much in my life. So from that moment on, um, it's kind of been, it's the most, like the most important social justice issue to me right now. Um, because I really think that there is so much going on with it, but not enough emphasis on how bad it is right now in America. Everyone just thinks that we're in this post-racial society, but really there's so much um, more that we have to go. What made you connect that issue to the saints? Um, for me, I really wanted to focus in on the Catholic Church because something that I love about the church is how much emphasis there is on justice and fighting for justice. But what I found is that there's kind of 
less emphasis on fighting for racial justice in the church, um, just from my own experience. And I think the idea of um, fighting for social or for racial justice within the Catholic church like makes total sense with Catholic social teaching. And it was just kind of confused, like, why isn't that there? So for me, like representing Catholic saints who were saints of color was unbelievably important because it didn't connect in my mind why there hasn't been that representation in the past. So you said a lot of people didn't know that there were saints from Africa. Um, how did how did you know about St. Augustine and St. Monica and St. Benedict and, you know, what they might have actually looked like despite what, how we usually see them in art? Actually, the reason why I really wanted to focus on representing saints of color was because I could not come up with a single saint of color. I didn't know one before I started this project. And that made me unbelievably angry because I was like, how have I made it through Catholic school all these days of my life and I don't know a single saint outside of Europe? So what I did is I started researching and really like dove deep into the rich history of saints from Africa. And um, yeah, that's kind of where I got started. Did you, I'm wondering if you, what your prayer life was like in connection to the saints before this project and if sort of going through painting this mural has affected your relationship to the saints at all or if you pray to these saints more? Yeah, I never really put as much as an emphasis on the saints until this project and the more I like started because I had to do so much research for this project, especially with the saints, because I really wanted to choose a wide variety of different like personalities of saints for the mural. So I looked at a lot of different saints. And what I found is that like reading about the lives of the saints has really helped my prayer life in kind of making me feel like I'm not alone in what I'm going through, because a lot of the saints went through their own struggles. They had their own kind of ups and downs in their own relationships with God. And I definitely have found myself kind of feeling more comfort and researching the saints and learning more about their lives because I can relate to them. Was there maybe one in particular, either from this mural or one that you found in your research that like really stuck with you? I would say my favorite is Sister Thea Bowman. I just love that woman. Who was she? Yeah, so she was a nun and she... um converted to Catholicism, I think at like age nine, like at such a young age, because she was really inspired by the teachers at her Catholic school and how much emphasis on like justice and service there was in Catholicism. And firstly, like when I read that, I remember being floored. So I was like, how did someone convert to Catholicism at age nine? Like she was that spiritual. I'm like, wow. And then um, she really did a lot of like work with teaching, which is something that I'm kind of interested in. And she also just went around the world um, with like justice work and really opened the conversation about racial injustice and especially within the Catholic Church and really like brought an emphasis on the importance for Catholics to focus on racial injustice. And um, yeah, she just did a lot of really important work, but it was always really joyful and she was really focused on like singing and mm -hmm. She was just really loud and vibrant, and that's kind of how I related to because I'm not, I don't really relate to, like, the humble, quiet saint. And so when I, like, heard about her story, I really related to it and felt so inspired by her holiness and that sort of extroverted outgoing. Chloe, you, you mentioned that racism is not something that's super easy for people to talk about, and it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And you decided to connect this to the saints. What was the response like from your fellow students or from the faculty at your school? 
it's been really, really positive, which um, has kind of been really awesome. I think a lot of people have been a lot more open to talk about it now and talk about like the different lives of the saints, which has really been cool because I've kind of, what's really interesting that some people have came up to me and said, I didn't even know there were black saints or I didn't know how many saints are there from Africa. And I was like, there's actually quite a few, like a lot of them. And, you know, people are really learning from this and taking in this information and not like getting angry about it. But a lot of people have um, kind of expressed their gratitude for bringing light to the issues and bringing awareness to the lives of these saints that are often not talked about. Is your school majority white or are there people of color at your school? Yeah, it's majority um, predominantly white. And and were there conversations about race and racism before this mural? There has been because in our junior theology class, um, second semester focuses on Catholic social teaching. So we focus on like racism for a part of the semester. Um, and that's like the main time when people really dive deep and like look at systematic racism and just different areas of racism. Um, and we also do sometimes as a school, we do, we call it like an equity summit and we focus in on different issues. Like in this past year, um, we looked at like immigration in regards to like racism and the racism that people experience that immigrants experience when they're in the U S. Um, so there has been conversation about it, but nothing as like widespread as a school. So what, what do you, when you, when someone looks at your mural, is there, is there something you want them to take away besides that? You know, it's a beautiful painting. Yeah, I think my entire purpose of the mural really centered on education because I really think that there is not enough education about not only like the stories of the stories and the lives of saints of color, but also just about what racism is like in the U.S. right now. So in the mural, there's constellations above the saints and each of the constellations connect to an area of systematic racism. So like one will connect to wealth or like housing, healthcare. I have like a pamphlet next to it that really goes in depth more into the lives of the saints and why I chose those saints. And then it goes in depth into what um, racism really is, what systematic racism is, because there's been, kind of been a lot of confusion about what systematic racism is. People say the term a lot, but if there's not formal education on what it is, especially white people, they're not going to like seek it out because it's difficult to talk about. It's uncomfortable to talk about. So I think what's important about this mural is that it's opening up the conversation and opening up kind of the start to educate people on what racism is like right now and how it's just kind of shifted and morphed from the racism that's always talked about, which was like, you know, during the time of Martin Luther King. Like it hasn't stopped since then. And we need to keep talking about how it's morphed and changed. How do you think Catholic schools could be better at naming and fighting racism? Um, I do think it's really important to have it in the education. I'm really grateful that, or like in the curriculum, I'm really grateful that my school has that in junior theology. But just in general, I think representation of like talking about maybe like English authors of color or in like when we talk about science history, we always just reference like the same people, mm -hmm. but not like hiding the history of like important people of color who have helped um, like important science discoveries. So I guess just like stuff like that, really thinking at it from a different perspective, everything, every single part of our curriculum. Yeah. Do you do you plan on continuing to use your own artwork as like an avenue for social justice? 
Do you have any other murals planned or projects? Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually, I'm starting a mural at a grade school right now. Um, that's going to be a focusing on racial injustice as well. Can we so, get a, can a, a hint at what it's going to be? Um, it's summer break, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll give you a hint. One of the saints, it's going to be six different saints, but one of the saints is going to be Charles Luanga from Uganda. So that should be cool. Is he, a, he was one of the martyrs there? Or? Yeah, he was. Okay. Very cool. So, Chloe, we've got one final question for you. We ask all our guests, if you could canonize anyone, Catholic or not, living or dead, who would it be and why? Ooh, ooh. Okay. Um, right now, this is popping into my head. I would have to say Father Greg Boyle, who... Um, Homeboy Industries. I'm reading Barking to the Choir right now. We read Tattoos on the Heart in my theology class. And I just like fell in love with his writing and kind of the way he sees God and how we are supposed to see God through others. And just overall, he completely changed my spirituality this school year. Um, so I owe him a lot and I would love if he got canonized. We're big fans of Greg Boyle on the yeah. show. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Chloe, thank you so much for the, your work as an artist and for talking with us and taking time out of summer break. We we yeah. really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Is there a place where people can find your your artwork? Um, like all of my artwork. I don't know. Do you, do you have like a portfolio? I don't know if people do that in high school. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I don't have a place where you can find it all. But if you go on, I think like it's on my. Uh, my school's Instagram or Twitter. They have like the mural if you want to see it. But... And the school is? Oh, Magnificat High School. In Ohio. In Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Ohio. He had to get that yeah, in, so there. Yeah. That in there. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Chloe. Thanks, Chloe. Enjoy the rest of your summer break. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye. of Jesuitical is brought to you in part by Somos. Somos is a new dynamic of care, a systematic platform to get healthcare to those on the margins in underserved areas lacking healthcare providers. For more information, go to somosnyhealth.org. All right, now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga? So I've got a consolation this week. I went to a Black Lives Matter event that my church was hosting this past weekend, and there were a lot of older members there and who were who just talked about how they had been living out their activism and living out their faith for 30 plus years. And I think it was like two episodes ago, I talked about feeling disconnected to my faith and just like being in church and not being able to kind of just be present in that moment. And it was really consoling to just see these people who are in their 60s and just really committed to their faith and their activism. And they really kind of served as models for me. And it just gave me the oomph that I kind of needed to get back into the swing of things. And it was just kind of encouraging to just be like, you know, 99% of this relationship with God is just showing up and being present. So that was my consolation this week. That's so true. And that's such a good reminder. And like, I, I we've, we've talked about before how important it is to just like see other people mm -hmm. doing this because yeah. it's pretty easy to just check out. Exactly. What do you have, Zach? Uh, this week, I've got a consolation um, showing up at a, 
a bar, I guess. Uh, so we threw kind of like a quick surprise uh, engagement thing for a friend who had on our soccer team who had just got engaged um, at, at the bar after our soccer game. And so we're all there and he kind of gave not a, really a toast, but not really even a speech, but just sort of like was really vulnerable about, you know, feeling lonely in a new city and expressing gratitude for people being friends with him and uh, always responding to him and, you know, helping him make his life what it was. Uh, and I guess that brought me to this moment of contemplation because of, I, I just didn't expect to see God and his gratitude or my gratitude one, because it was in a bar. Um, and two, because uh, I think men in particular don't really have a lot of spaces where they do this type of thing, where they are super public about their, you know, vulnerabilities and their loneliness and their gratitude for other people. You know, sometimes we get this um, in a bad best man speech at a wedding, but um, definitely not just like at an everyday, you know, hang out with your friends. And so that unexpectedness led me to find God in a really surprising way this week. That yeah. was my consolation. That was great. I was there. And like, I, I definitely like share in his gratitude and that like our soccer team has like given me the same feeling of being in a, in a big city. Yeah. So yeah, it was great to hear it from John too. What do you got, Ashley? Uh, I also have a consolation. This past weekend, I was down in Virginia because um, my best friend from gr we grew up next door to each other are still best friends 28 years later. Um, but she lives in California. She got married in January, and this is the first time I've seen her since then. Um, so both her and her husband uh, were were in Virginia, and I got to spend time with them. And in the past, I kind of struggled to really embrace her new husband, and I think a large part of that was just this like voice in my head that's like she's in California like she chose him over you like if you had been like a more important part of her life she would have stayed on the east coast and like you could still live near each other and like that's not that's just like not true and it's not a helpful voice to listen to um and it really like got in the way of my friendship with her and my like wanting to engage in friendship with him and for some reason I was finally just able to like shut that voice up and spend time with him um and and see Laura for who she is and for the new ways or the new places and people she loves um, and then let and allowed that to like lead me to embrace him in a new way. Um, and so then we just had a ton of fun and played board games and drank Trulies <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was it was really beautiful. But it, it, like I needed I needed to get rid of that what you know what Father Sundrup would call the the evil spirit that was telling me that like it's because I wasn't good enough that she's she's started this new life in California. But that, that is some emotional and spiritual maturity. <laughs> yep. I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. One way or another. One truly or another. <laughs> All right, Jesuitical is produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. Production help from Kieran Freeman. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to Coco Giggle 35, Food Court, and Meggers 0711. Thank you guys so much for leaving us reviews. Judge Whittacle is recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We will see you next week. Actually, I won't. You will only see Zach and Olga next week. I am on vacation. And then 
we're on vacation. We're on summer vacation. Yeah. So, any parting wisdom you want to leave our listeners with for the summer? Um, actually, take your vacation days. That's what I'm going to try to do. Okay, that's a good <laughs> idea. Take take some time. Vacation is a pro life issue. Yep. 